Children can be dismissed to junior church. And we have Mr. Tom Woollett preaching today. Thank you for the privilege of letting me come and speak today. I uh, want to share with you, uh, I have a very poor recollection. I, you know, we use the term, we forget things. But I don't forget things so much as I just can't recall them when I want to. And so that's the trouble I have with a lot of things. And so I've got most everything I want to say written down. Now, I'll add to it a little bit or something, but but it's uh, because I forget stuff so much, I don't want to leave things out. So so I'm going to read most of it off here or look at it anyway as we go along. I'd like to start out with prayer, which usually the speakers do. They have prayer before they start, but I'd like to do it a little different. I'd like to take at least about 15 seconds and have every one of you pray for me and others in the church that you might get a message and it might be helpful to you all. But rather than just me praying, I'd like every one of you to pray for the situation here. So I'm going to give you about 15 seconds to do that, and we'll start. Thank you. Amen. Now, I hope all your prayers had more influence than mine does by myself, so we'll see where we go from here. Now, we're going to talk about grapes today. Now, most of you are sick and tired of hearing about grapes from the last few months. Here, you'd rather hear something else, but we're not going to talk all about grapes. That's going to just come into the back end of it. And the reason for that is, part of it anyway, is because uh, I... Well, I want to. I got to read my notes, see, because I try to read. And I don't, um, one thing I want to tell you: I sit up front because I got poor hearing. It's not because I don't want to be back there with you guys, but there's too many distractions in the back. So I sit up front because I can't hear you, and uh, I don't get to the back before many of you're gone. And one thing we talked about a few weeks ago in, in prayer meeting was fellowship. And the fellowship was a big thing in the early church there. It was a lot more than we are so now. Time, time I get back into the hallway with my wife now, three-fourths of you are already gone out the door. And so I don't get to talk with you and share with you very much during, during uh, 
afterwards and fellowship. So that's something I miss. And I think as a church, we need that more and more, some fellowship. Now, we're having a fellowship dinner after church today, so I hope most of you can stay and enjoy that. But we need to, we need to make fellowship more of our church, part of our church. And so uh, now I want to talk to you about uh, a little bit of my history. We'll build up the grapes eventually there. Now, my wife and I, in five more days, will have been members of this church for 60 years. That's a little while. Now, the only ones that I can remember being here when I came was Terry Bussing. Now, how many know Terry Bussing? How many don't know Terry Bussing? Well, Terry Bussing is a pastor's wife. You know her now? You remember Terry Bussing? She's not here this morning because she's not feeling that well. But uh, Terry Bussing, uh, Dick Eimers. Most of you know Dick Eimers, right? Terry, uh, Dick was going here to church, as I remember. Now, my memory, again, never has been great, but I seem like I'm sure that I've seen Dick around here while we was down on... Route 20 down there at the other old church there when I started going there. My sister Carol, she was here, and uh, the Spoon Girls. Now, how many of you don't know the Spoon Girls? Well, the Spoon Girls grew up, went away, buried. Now they've come back, and they're the, now the Kinney ladies, Gloria and, and uh, Bonnie. And so, you know, a lot of history there passed over. Those are the only ones I can remember when I first started coming to church down there, downtown there. Uh, we're going to talk about grapes, but again, like I said, we're going to talk about some background on my, my life before grapes. I grew up on and around dairy farms until I graduated from high school. It was a time of a lot of transition in my life. World War II was going on. That was a time of air raid warnings, sirens blowing at night sometimes, and you're supposed to get the lights all off. And, uh, you know, it wasn't supposed to be outside or anything going on. You turn the lights off. Or it was a time of rationing. You couldn't get rubber. You couldn't buy boots. You couldn't buy tires. I remember at early years of my life, we, we lived on a farm between Climber and North Climber, and... My dad run the farm there then, and you'd go somewhere in the car. We had a car then some of the time, but you go somewhere in a car, and it seems like to me, from my memory, which isn't so good, I say, you'd had a flat tire about every 50, 75 miles. And the reason was tires were so bad and you couldn't buy any. You, you just could not get them. So when you had a flat tire, you'd stop Get out, get the jack out, you jack up the car, you take the tire off, you get your tire irons out, you take the tire apart, take the tube out and patch it along with about a dozen other patches at least that were already on the tube. You put it back together and uh, get the tire back on the rim and, and you pump it up with a hand pump. Everybody carried tire irons and a hand pump. You all know those hand, did you ever pump up tires with a hand pump? Uh, well, you, some of you remember that a little bit. And so we, we'd pump up our tires there and uh, Put the tire back on, put your stuff away, go down the road, and hopefully you didn't have another one before you got home or something. So, so that was a common thing then. It was a time of food stamps. 
Betty's still got some food stamps from World War II. You couldn't buy some things unless you had stamps. You were only allowed so many, depending on who was in your family and stuff, but you were only allowed so much of certain different foods. And uh, so we, uh, one thing that uh, I remember, I think butter was, was uh, on rations, but I don't remember because we made our own butter. We had cows made our own butter, but I remember margarine came out, and when, we, when margarine came out, it was in a little plastic bag, and it looked just like lard. I don't know if you ever remember that or not, but it had a colored, colored pill in it. Well, that was a pill or something, you know. And you'd take and mush that up, and, and you'd work it through your hands. And us kids like that. Give us about 15 minutes of playing with that thing. And, and then it finally looked like butter. Didn't taste too much like it, but it, it, it looked like butter anyway. That helped. If it was just white. It looked too much like lard. I guess that was a psychological thing there. So... Uh, that was some of the stuff there. Uh, first cars, I remember. We had a little thing we called a hand crank. Put it in the front of the engine here and you started your car like that. I don't know how many of you hand cranked a car or not, but that's the way we started cars back then. Well, not too long after that, we went to six-volt batteries. Now, these six-volt batteries were not too good. They weren't too powerful. They didn't hold or charge very long, especially you get a little age on it, you know. And so cold winter days, you wanted to go somewhere, and sometimes you go out there and start the car or try to start the car, you know, and that was about it. And so you'd get the team of horses out, at least we always had a team of horses. We never had a garage either. Car was always outside. We usually had horses. So you'd go get the horses out, harness them up, hook onto the car, drag it down the road, and all the cars were, were standard shifts then, so you just let out the clutch and... The horse would pull and the car would start, because they usually started all right. And, and, uh, and then you'd take the horses back to the barn, unharness, unharness them, and put them away, and then you'd go to town. Well, I remember a few times when the plows weren't out too much and the snow was a little deep, why we'd go to town on a sled. Now, we didn't have a sleigh, but we had a freight sled, and, and we'd hook the horses to that, and we'd go to town, get groceries or something, and come back again. And so that things were, things were a little different then. And uh, some other things that were a little different when we lived back there. We, when we lived in Clymer, my youngest sister got sick. She was, had some problems. She was in a hospital probably at least two years out of the first three years or so of her life. And about that time, we had a, a barn blew off the roof. No, the roof blew off the barn. And, and uh, Dad didn't have any money by that time with the, my sister being in the hospital so much. And, and he didn't have money to, to re-roof the barn. And so we sold the cattle and, and the farm had to go back to the bank. And so we moved several times from then on. And we went different places. Three of the places that we lived that I can remember didn't have electricity, didn't have water, didn't have a bathroom inside. And uh, I'm not telling you all this stuff just to make you feel sorry for me. In fact, it was kind of exciting back then. We thought that was great. You know, we never know we were suffering any. We, we enjoyed it all. But uh, it, was a, it was a way of life back then. Okay, now we'll move on a little bit. I want to tell you a little bit about farming. You know, a few of the things on... Dairy farms, 
that you did was, you know, you'd plow, disc, plant corn, oats, wheat, and so on, milk the cows. You cut hay, break it, load it, and stack it. In the old days, we had the loaders and loose hay, and we'd get these big wagon loads of hay, and then we'd put them in stacks. Or sometimes you had, some people would have these big forks that went out, and you'd back into the, the root of the thing come out over outside the barn, and you'd pick them up with these big forks, and we'd take them up on this rail and go in and dump it. Or then later on, we got into hay bales, and you would put them in the barn. Uh, so, like I said, we'd cut hay and stack it and bale it, and then you'd milk the cows. You'd fix fence, doctor the cows, cut wood for cooking, for hot water, for heat, and if I didn't mention it, milk the cows twice a day. And when we didn't have electric, we milked them by hand. So dairy farming was a lot of work, but I loved it. I, if things had worked out differently, I probably would have been a dairy farmer, but it didn't work out that way, and that's all right. That's the way the Lord led us. Now, a few years after we were married, we moved to Ripley on the hill near my sister and her family. I knew nothing about grapes. Few years after we bought the place where we live now, the place had four acres of grapes. What little I'd learned about grapes being in the area, I thought you'd trim them, pull the brush, pick them in the fall, maybe about four, four months of labor in a year. I hope I'm not insulting you farmers too much here, anyway, grape farmers. But that, I'm just a little fun on the side. But we worked the grapes for about, probably about 20 years. We picked by hand by my wife and the, and the children in the wooden crates. After I got home from work, we picked up the crates, loaded them on a truck, and took them in the northeast, the juice plant. Last few years, we had the grapes there. Don Babel, our neighbor down the road a little ways, he picked them with his new grape picker. And, and so things progress over the years, and, and different things happen there. But uh, that's... Now, I learned a few things about grapes. There's a lot more work there than I thought, but it still doesn't compete with dairy farming. You know, milking them cows every day, twice a day, seven days a week, 12 months a year, 365 days a year, and 366 on leap years. You know, you couldn't take a morning off and go somewhere. You could sleep in or you couldn't go visit somebody and not get home till late at night. You had to be there. Now, bigger farms are different these days, just like the grape farms. Used to pick them in the crates and do all that. Now, the picker comes and do it. So that's a big difference there. And a lot of those things are different. Uh, But uh, we... See, I'm not used to talking, so I get stuck where I'm going, and I forget what I'm doing. But anyway, we, we uh, picked the grapes there and, and, uh, and went through that. But I want to talk about grapes now a little bit. And let's, let's go to John 15, 1. You can look at that a little bit if you would. I'm just going to read through that and mention a little bit of things there. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, and it bringeth forth more fruit. Now, that's an important part of, of 
grapes is trimming them. And if you didn't trim them, they would not produce. After a short while, they just get smaller and smaller, and, and you get all that wood and the strength to go into the wood. So, so you, they have to be trimmed. Now, this is this is a illustration of scripture that talks about grapes and uses it an application to us. So, it's talking about uh, Christians and, and Christ being our our uh, Savior, and, and He is the vine, and we are the branches. It says, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Without me you can do nothing. And so again, you see, the, the, we get our strength, and we get our production through Christ, but we have to be trimmed, otherwise it doesn't work. If you let a vineyard go a few years, uh, the grapes get smaller and, and they, they just don't produce a way. And so I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If any man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and man gathered them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So that's an illustration of non-Christians there. And if you abide in me, and my words abide in me, in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So he wants us as Christians to bear fruit and have a good crop. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So I put it in the heading in the bulletin there, grapes, joy or wrath. And is grapes your joy, as, as not as picking them great out here in the field, where you enjoy that or part of your life or not, but is it a joy to you? to be a Christian and have fruit for the Lord. And that's the illustration. He uses a lot of different things in Scripture as illustration, and grapes are used there as an illustration of us as Christians. If, we're, if we belong to him, he trims us, and he produces much fruit through us. If not, we have grapes of wrath, which we'll talk about here. So that's a picture of, of Christian life and the joy that we have in that. Says in fifth verse eleven there that your joy might be full. I've heard a lot of sermons on that theme over the years. A dozen, two dozen, I don't know. I've heard that. I've heard sermons on. Most of you have heard sermons on John fifteen. Anybody ever heard a sermon on John fifteen? <laughs> I know the pastors preached a few times and other, and, and that's very familiar scripture area there. But I've never heard one on the grapes of wrath with the same line of application. I've heard scripture out of Revelations about the grapes of wrath, and, and you find grapes of wrath in the Old Testament. And, and it's not always, doesn't always say grapes of wrath. Sometimes it just uses wrath or wrath of the vine, but you get the idea from reading enough different places that, that wrath is has got to do is using the grapes as a symbol for that. Okay, so we're going to look at the 
we don't have to turn there if you want. It's John, John twenty one twenty five. Now this is a verse that I've looked at a lot of times, and I used to wonder what what really we could get out of that. It says there, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, every one. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So it says that Christ did a lot of other things and spoke about a lot of other things, I'm sure. And does that mean that we can't know any of those things, that we can't can't learn from those things? I think it means, too, that we can take what we've learned in other places and put them together and and gain and learn from that. And so, to me, uh, John 21, 25 is the rest of the story. I don't know how many of you remember Paul Harvey. He was an old news commentator, and he'd, he'd tell different stories and stuff, and then he'd tell about the rest of the story at the end of it, and it's... It had quite a profound story there usually about it. Well, this is a, the rest of the story about grapes. Now, something might happened this morning here that, that uh, wasn't in my line of thinking. I, I gave Cheryl a song to put in the bulletin for me, and she did. But she didn't put it where I thought she was going to. Well, I guess the Lord had better plans for that. Now, I planned on having it before the scripture, but she put it in after the scripture. And so I hope maybe that this might even have more effect that way. Now, it's the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and that talks about grapes in there and the wrath of God, and, and we'll see how that works out there. So we're going we're to talk about uh, the grapes of wrath. Uh, I'm not going to be teaching anything or trying to tell you anything particularly out of Revelation because Revelation is a very complex book. It, it takes years of studying to really get a handle on it and to, to understand what's going on there. But we're going to talk some about grapes. And all I want you to get out of there is to see the example like in John 15, we're an example of, of Christian living illustrated through the grapes and the grapevines and the fruit that it produces. And uh, in, in uh, Revelation, we're going to get a picture of what happens without being in God's will. Now, I'm going to try to show some slides here if I do this right. Okay, we got a picture on there. Now, these are going to be pictures of, and I don't know how clear you're going to be able to see them, but these are grapes in my woods up back there. Okay, so you can see there the grapevine gone wild up there. You can see the effects of them in the tree. And I didn't really get a lot of good pictures. The first place, I'm not a photographer. Second place, uh, the grapes, you know, you got to search and search up there to find just what you want. But you can see the vines going up in there, and you can see some of the results of them. There, there is a result of some vines there where the, the vine has killed a tree and broke it over and brought it down and it destroys the grapes of wrath as illustrated in, in Scripture, in my mind, and in Revelations in other places too, uh, is a picture of destruction and, and what Satan does in, in his work. We talked about 
Christ in John 15 and, and how we produce fruit and, and, and revelation is how, how Satan produces nothing good at all but death. Now there's, there's three grapes that I picked out of a vineyard just all in one little spot like this. And down below it, there's a, a grapevine that I got up back in the woods up there. If you had about 50 acres of my woods back up there and walked through it and stuffed through it, you might, I don't know if you would or not, but you might, you know, we had, used to have those little wooden crates that we picked the grapes in. You might come up with enough to fill that, that grapevine, but I, that, that, that bin, that, that crate with, with grapes, if, if you went through 50 acres and found everything, but I, I doubt if you'd even do that. But one little area, those three big ones there, is, is what grapes are like when you're an illustrated in the life of Christ. That's the fruit that should be and, and is in the life of a Christian. Good, wonderful fruit, juicy and tasty and, and, and good for, for eating and, and enjoying. The other one, that little bitty down there, is a fruit of Satan and his grapevine and the world and, and what comes out of that. So you can see a vast difference there and what, what you get from that. So that's, that's all I want, I think, of my show there. Now, I got something over here I want to show you a little bit. Help illustrate my point a little bit. Again, I didn't really spend enough time to get... I was looking for, but here is a nice, healthy-looking grapevine. I like to use that to illustrate Jesus. He's young and strong, and, and he's in good shape, and he, he, feeds the, he feeds the branches and enables them to bear much fruit. Now, this is a, a grapevine gone wild. Now, they get a lot bigger than that. I've seen some of them up there, but I couldn't find one. They get six, seven inches in diameter. You think, man, that's really robust. That's what I want. I want to be, I want to be that. But you know what it does? It just feeds on itself. It just grows fat, and it goes up into the trees, and it kills them and produces almost no fruit at all. And so it, it's absolutely worthless. And it's not only worthless, but it's very extremely harmful to the world and to people. Again, God uses wrath in the Old Testament there to, to uh, condemn Satan, but this is used as an illustration. Uh, you can see Christ as a branch and that produces much fruit, and you can see Satan as a branch that, not the branch, the, the vine. The vine, Christ is the vine, and, and Satan is the vine of the world. And, and it brings just destruction and, and death and no good thing and no good fruit at all. So you see the difference in them there. Now this is a vine I just got curled up here and tied together there. But with brand, or with with branches. The scripture uses a little bit different than we do. They call the stalk coming up, they call that the vine and, and the branches of what goes out. This would be the branch. Branches, you can't really tell whether this is a wild one or a, a tame one. You're just looking at them without a trained eye. I know John or Art or somebody maybe could tell what they really are. But 
I, I, well, I couldn't really tell a difference if I was just looking at just this by itself. It's just a vine. No, it's just a branch. According to Scripture, it's a branch. It has a potential for living for Christ or for living for Satan. That we're going to be one or the other. But it, it's, it's whatever our vine is that what we're going to be. And if, it's, uh, if we're a vine of, if Christ is our vine, we're going to produce some fruit. If he's not, we're going to produce that little, little piece up there. I don't know how Dave told me to shut this off. Maybe you can shut it off, Dave. Yes, we want to look at grapes the rest of the time here. But uh, anyway, that's, that's a picture and an illustration of vines in the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a lot of scripture about grapes of wrath and God's wrath and, and, and vines in Old Testament and New Testament. In the Old Testament, mostly they were used with the nation of Israel, but in, in the New Testament, it's, it's the whole world. Now, uh, in my dictionary that I had at home, it says wrath is a, is a violent, angry fury. Now, that's quite scary words when you're used by God, but God uses them there in a very strong way. I want to I read you one little verse back here in in Psalms, which I was reading through Psalms here lately, and this scripture came to my mind here and how it fit in there. And you, it doesn't come right out and say it clear. You've got to listen to it pretty good what it says. It says, The Lord said unto my Lord, it's Psalm 110, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies my, thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauty of holiness. From the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the days of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way therein. He shall lift up the head. So that is a, partly for, foretelling about the area of tribulation that we'll talk about now. Now, I've just picked out a, you know, a lot of the rats in, in Revelation do not have, actually it says of the vine or the grapes, but some of them do. And this helps us again to understand the picture of grapes and sin and rejection of God and condemnation and hell. I picked out a few of those in Revelations. Now, you got to understand, you all know what tribulation is, right? It's seven-year period. It's going to come any time now. And the way the society is going today, I can't believe it's too far off. But it's seven-year time when the Christians will be taken out of the world and they'll go to heaven and the rest of the world will be here. And the population of the world now, I think, is somewhere between eight, 7 and 8 billion. And we've had a lot of disasters in our time where a lot of people have been killed. You know, we hear it every day. You know, there's a big storm. 15, 20 people get killed. 
sometimes have a big flood or something, maybe a thousand people get killed. You, you get, build it on up and, and a lot of the wars have killed off thousands and thousands of people. Probably the biggest one that I know of would be World War II, where probably over two million people were, were killed at one time. But those are just drops in the buckets to tribulation. Seven-year period, where in the beginning part of it, it's going to be kind of an easy time a little bit, but, but Satan is going to be working there, and he's going to kill off a lot of people, but mainly the Lord is going to kill off most of the people. So by the end of that seven-year period, there's going to be like eight billion people killed. I don't know if you can comprehend that in your mind or not, but almost the total population of the whole world are going to be killed. There's going to be hardly anybody left. There'll be some, but, but very, very few. And, and that's an awful lot of people when you think about it. Uh, or I think there's some scriptures where they talked about burying the dead for years afterwards. Um, but uh, billions of people are going to die. Not just a few, not just a thousand, not just a hundred thousand, not just millions, but billions. You know how much a billion is? I don't either. I never counted that far. But it's way beyond our comprehension. Seven to eight billion people anyway, at least, I would say. So we're going to look at some scriptures here in Revelation and just read them. I'm not going to try to explain them to you. I just, I just want you to maybe listen and, and uh, not even bother looking them up unless you want to and see what scripture says. And I've only picked out a few here that, that tied in God's wrath and, and so on there to, to some degree, and most of them are. Chapter 6 of Revelation, starting with verse 12. For, and I beheld, and he had opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that setteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb." For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Over chapter 9. Again, we're just picking out a few out of here that, that give us a little picture of the destruction that's going to happen there. And that using the grapes as an illustration of, of this too. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loose, which were prepared for an hour, and a day, and a month, and a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were two hundred thousand, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and they that sat on them, having breastplates of fire, and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these was a third part of men killed, by fire and by the smoke and by the 
brimstone which issued out of their mouth. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of men which are not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor their thefts. And see, a lot of this stuff is words that you're not familiar with, probably. It's a little stranger, but you get the idea that there's great death and killing going on here of most all people. And then we go over to chapter 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, there were great voices in heaven. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, that thou shouldest give reward unto the servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. There was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thundering and an earthquake and great hail. And chapter 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, and that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world, and he was cast out into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down on you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So it talks about the wrath of Satan there. But it's, it's not a time you want to live in. It's a horrible time. The first part of it is not quite so bad, but Satan's even talked about Satan's wrath there, and that starts to show up in the first half of it. But the second half of it is a time of mass slaughter. Now, I'm old, and I forget things, and I get things mixed up, so I may be misinterpreting some of this, but I, I don't think I'm that far off. This is, this is mass destruction of humanity on this earth of, of those who are not followers of Christ. It's like that big grapevine with all them... Useless vines that go up and destroy trees and whatever they come in contact with, and he takes that's his that's his line. And if if you if you're here during tribulation, which Christians, the followers of Christ on the true vine and the branches, they're going to be taken out. They're just going to be left those who, who are of the vine of the Satan and the branches of Satan, and they're going to be destroyed. Almost practically all of those. And uh, it's not going to be a time you want to be involved in. You don't want to be here. 
You want to be with the Lord. Okay. Um, over to chapter 14. And again, I'm just picking out a few spots through here that, that are, there's many, many illustrations of God's wrath through there, but it doesn't, doesn't use the term wrath or uh, grapes or vines are too much, so I try to bring in those, but, but there's many more there besides that. Okay, 14.6. Uh, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be mourned with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest nor night who worship the beast and his image and whoso receiveth the mark of his name. Herein is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven say unto me, Blessed are the dead, dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, they that rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one set like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him, the son of the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come to reap, and the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud voice to him that had a sharp sickle, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle in the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse's bridle, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now that verse, that last one, has always dazzled me. I don't know if you ever looked up what a furlong is and how many that would make, but it's a big, big pile. And you know how even a small horse bridle would be up here somewhere. And what, how narrow the valley is there, I'm not sure. But for hundreds of miles, blood filled that high. Can you comprehend it? I mean, you, some of you at least have seen an animal killed and... and blood out, you know how much blood there is in an animal, but you take that, or an animal in a person, it would, I don't know if you've ever seen a person blood out or not, but it would be the same as a calf or something, you know, a similar size. That much blood, how many people 
lives were that taken? Billions of people, apparently, and, and so much blood. And, and it's just dazzled me. And 15.1 says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them has filled up the wrath of God. And we'll go over to 16. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of wrath upon, of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a death, dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon rivers and fountains of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which are, and was, and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. And I will skip over to 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole earth to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief in the night. Blessed is he that watches and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, they see his shame. And he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. There was a great earthquake, such as not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided in three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of wine of her, the fierceness of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and there fell upon man a great hail of, of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceedingly great. Now, you know how much a... a Talent is, according to my reference here, it's about 20 pounds. You ever get hit in the head with a good-sized hail? Probably most of you have. But I never got hit in the head with one that weighed 20 pounds. And coming under a whole storm of them, that doesn't sound like it'd be good. Okay, we're going to have a couple last verses here, and then we'll wrap up. Chapter 19. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he should rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of God Almighty. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of King and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, 
Oh, I guess we don't need to read any more on, on that one. That'll be enough for. Okay, now if you go to chapter 20, the three verses out of that first three verses. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and set him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. So if you're familiar with tribulation, you know that it's a seven-year period, sometime in our future, when God is going to come take the Christians out of the world, and then Satan's going to take over the world to a large degree, in the first part particularly, and then the Lord's going to come and bring destruction, and almost all the population of the world is going to be destroyed. It's a big thing. Not hundreds, not thousands, not millions, but billions, billions and billions of people are going to be killed. You don't want to be here for that. It's not a nice place to be. It's, it's, you're going to be condemned to hell if, if you're here in this place. And so that's the end of tribulation there. Now, I'm going to read one more section of verses here, just a short one. Uh, chapter 20. Verse 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. He shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, I didn't try to explain any of those very much. I hope they were self-explanatory enough so that you get the picture. If you're here during tribulation, it's, it's the worst picture, the worst thing you can imagine. You don't want to be. You want to be sure you know the Lord now, if you look at, you know, I've looked at history for 85 years now, and things have changed a lot. Now, they've changed a lot, a lot of times over the 6,000 years. But I've told this, you know, to several people before. I've got to quit. It's getting late. But for 6,000 years, man lived on this world, and we had wars, and people destroyed each other. But we never had the capacity to destroy the world's population. We had armies would go and kill off several thousand, take over different nations. Up until the 1900s, 1900s, we got into airplanes, rockets, hydrogen bombs, atom bombs, and stuff. And now man has the potential to destroy all the population of the earth. But Scripture says he's not going to do it. God, Satan, and God is going to do it. Particularly God is going to destroy the population. But they're not going to be Christian people. If you're a Christian, you're going to be saved from that. If you're not, you're going to face that hell. It's going to be a terrible hell. And then there'll be a thousand years uh, where Christ reigns, and then Satan will loose, and then he'll be destroyed, put in the lake of fire forever. But it's not a pretty picture. It's not, you know, teaching revelation and preaching on it is not, not something that's really easy and, and things you like to hear. You know, there's a lot of good things in Scripture that tells you about the blessings we can have. Revelations is a time of death and terrible things, but 
it's like the lines here. Christ represents himself and, and, and the line and the branches represent Christians. And with him, you can spend eternity in heaven with his great blessings. If you're the vine of Satan, you're just going to grow into things destroying others, destroying the world, destroying those around you. It's not a good picture. And the end is death and eternity in hell. It's a simple choice in most ways. Sometimes maybe it's a hard choice, but you need to love the Lord to accept you. You just can't say, well, okay, I want to be yours, Lord, just so you escape that. But you've got to really accept him as your Lord and Savior. But, but what, a, what a choice. I mean, how could you not choose Christ? And, and look what you're, it's going to be. And I, I don't know, you know, I, I can't see Christ's return being too far away, maybe another hundred years, maybe another thousand. But, but man could destroy with the, with the bombs and stuff we got now, it can destroy the population of the world pretty easy now, but it says God is going to do that, and he's going to bring destruction down. He's going to take out his people first. So I hope that you will, you'll consider these things. If you don't know the Lord, wonder where you're, you're going to spend eternity. Christ invites you to be a, a branch on his vine. Couldn't be simpler than that. And it couldn't be more important than that. So I hope you'll think about grapes in a new way. We use them as a symbol of uh, Christianity and the grapes that we, we trim and fertilize and feed out here. And you know, we get a wonderful fruit off it. And that's what you should be as, as Christians, producing fruit. But if you're a wild grape, like up in the woods, you just grow wood and you kill other things that are around you and you don't produce any fruit and destruction is all you have to look forward to. So I hope, I hope you'll choose Christ as your line and spend eternity with him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this privilege. I realize I struggle with it, and yet it's so important, Lord, and we, we would just ask that you would help people to see that how important this is, the most important thing there is in life, the, that they accept Christ as Lord. And so we ask that you might work on these lives and these people, if they know Christ, that they might share this with others, Father. We're in a particular area here where grapes are very important to us. Many people don't have that and can't see the illustrations that we have. But Lord, help them to see and, and to uh, share this with others, Lord. We thank you for this privilege and this opportunity. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You can turn in your hymnals or up on the screen uh, to look at Battle Home of the Republic. What I want to do is I'm just going to read the first, or read the five verses because there's a lot in there that's really good and really well done. So um, I think it's interesting when you talk about the wrath of God and it sounds so brutal, um, especially when you're separated from any kind of terrible thing happening to you. If something was to happen to your child, all of a sudden the wrath of God sounds completely reasonable um, that you would unleash it on whoever did something to your child or to your wife or to whatever it is. Now you're like, okay, that seems reasonable. 
Um, but to also know that God is completely just in his wrath. He's not unhinged like us. He doesn't fly off the handle, but it's controlled, it's perfect, and it's to the point. Um, and also whenever you read in Revelation or in anywhere in Scripture, a picture of wrath is always mild compared to the actual thing. It's hard to explain how terrible it would be. The same way is the grace and mercy and love of God is we, we get a picture of what it actually is. Um, so it's on both ends a wonderful thing to remember that the joy and hope and love of Christ is better than anything you've ever experienced. But also the wrath of God is more terrible than anything we could begin to describe. And both of those things are true. And I pray that the love of Christ will compel you to trust in him for your safety. But not only that, to know that you actually deserve the wrath that's more terrible than we can begin to describe. And that is why you should run to Christ, who's willing to forgive the most terrible people. The Battle of the Hymn of the Republic was written during the Civil War and is actually the North's song for the most part, and it's been used throughout history. But it's a very gospel-centered, Christ-centered, wonderful hymn. And I just wanted to read it uh, through with you. And you can see actually in the last line where it's talking about uh, the freedom of all men, um, where it says, um, as he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. But churches throughout the years have also used that just to say, as Christ died to save sinners, so we also must die, give up our lives to share the gospel. And missionaries have been doing that forever and ever. And, and the common man has been doing that forever and ever. Um, so I just want to read through these lines and just take them in. They are, they are really good. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of our Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword and his truth is marching on. I have seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. They have builded him an altar in the evening dews and damps. I can read his righteous sentence by the dim and flaring lamps. His day is marching on. I have read a fiery gospel written in burnished rows of steel. As ye deal with my contemners, so with you my grace shall deal. Let the hero born of woman crush the serpent with his heel, since God is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. And in the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free while God is marching on. I like how it's his truth, his day. God is marching, our God while God is marching on. It's God who is in control and it's God who we trust. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness, your wisdom, and your mercy. We thank you for the preaching of your word. We thank you for the lives that you've given us to live in your grace. Help us to trust in you for justice and for mercy and for forgiveness as you would mete it out. Help us to be willing to give up our lives that men and women may be made free in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.